0: Welcome to Talking Sock. Australia is a big place. So the engineers, visual artists and sculptors at a blank canvas make their puppets to size.
1: I've been geeking out in VR.
0: In his studio based in Melbourne's North Coburg, Joe Blank is the mastermind behind these larger than life roving puppets.
1: her wish was to meet a dragon and we we delivered her a, a baby dragon and one of the best jobs that we've ever done.
0: Join Joe and I now here on Talking Sock. Welcome to Talking Sock, your one stop shop for all things puppetry, arts, and practitioners. My name is Pete Davidson, and I'm joined today in the Coburg North studio uh, by correspondence with Joe Blank of A Blank Canvas. Welcome to our late night special, Joe, and thank you for being here at this hour. I know you've had quite a crazy day, so we do appreciate your time. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, it is the um, after hours, uh, but we're um, we're doing okay.
0: <laughs> so, Joe, first question: Joe, why puppets?
1: Why puppets? Good question. I do ask myself this a lot, actually. Why, you know, willingly throw myself into a world of dolly wagglers and and weird uh, weirdos? <laughs> it's a cool art form, man. Um, I'm a painter my background I'm I'm, you know many things but my backgrounds came from from being a a painter and an artist and um, a scenic artist and and then a sculptor and then props maker and then set builder and and then you know and then puppets came into it just kind of naturally I feel like they're a, like a moving sculpture which I dig they are an amazing medium a, a bit like a beautiful art form that 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 has so many elements to it that through performance art and and manipulation of an inanimate object it's just a it's a cool art form which which I've you know fell into really I've always been kind of into the Muppets when I was a kid, but I never kind of dreamed it was a a job at, at any point, you know, and not until the point I was kind of getting paid to do it where I was like, hey, hang on a minute. This is a this is a real thing. But it's a really amazing art form that has so many endless elements to it. I love the fact that I can draw a character and then sculpt it and then cast it and mold it and add mechanisms to it and then bring it to life and film it and perform it and put it on stage or put it on film or it's just a medium that kind of just evolves and and moves fluidly it's a really cool art form which which I I kind of stumbled across and and stumbled into which I've embraced with both arms
0: I love that with both arms. You say, I want to get into your characters a bit later because I think your characters are wonderful and inventive and so beautifully drawn up and designed and 3D animated and all of that. But I want to ask you, can you remember the first gig for you, whether it be building or performing with puppets that you, way back when, when you're building sets and all that stuff, do you remember the first time it was like, it was puppets?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know it was the first time, but it was definitely a memorable one, was working on The Hobbit. Well, I was working uh, as a scenic artist and then I was painting and building, mostly painting, the sets for The Hobbit. And then I got wind that it was for a puppet show and I was like oh that's a bit silly you know a puppet show and then realized that it was a big production it was a huge thing and and there were so many amazing puppets that were involved in it that were getting built uh, in another studio I think not long after that there was the Lion Witch in the Wardrobe which was another big production that I was again working on the sets for and it just started like oh like puppetry is it is a thing and and I, I saw some of the puppets and went out to the workshop and. And then, you know, we were handing over the sets and the props for that and, and then I guess just started to to realise that it is a, a big part of theatre, which I'd always, already been a, a big part of building sets and, and props and, and doing ballet, like doing sets and props for ballets and not doing ballet, building sets and props for ballet. <laughs> um, Maybe we could do a rise. bit of ballet. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you just watch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But you know, you know, doing the sets and props for for operas and ballets and theater and musicals, and and then puppets came into it, you know, and and went, wow, this is something I've always been interested in, but didn't really register it as a as a thing, you know. The only thing that that when I was, you know, I kind of started when I was in my very early twenties, I think. By then, I was, you know, in my teens, I was kind of into the Muppets and. Fraggle Rock and and that's what I knew of puppetry and that was kind of it uh, and I guess probably naive in what was puppetry a, at that time and and then so seeing that in you know in Melbourne that there was a, a big thing big some big productions that were happening around that time and I was a part of it and and then kind of got interested in uh, in the art form and, and then started to, to to kind of pick up and learn a little bit more about it and and then go, oh, okay, well, there's companies that that do um, workshops and and stuff, and then I kind of kind I of started to get involved uh, in that From then I, I kind of you know it kicked off.
0: There's a bit of a consensus, Joe, that Australia's and I use inverted common fingers brand of puppetry is very kind of large scale roving puppets that you produce, the same kind that you produce. And the visuals involved in this are spectacular and the scale allows audiences in public spaces and namely festivals to remember you and your work. So first of all, how does it feel to think that your kind of puppetry has helped shape and develop Australia's puppet identity? But also, what is it like to have that sort of more fleeting audience interaction? And how do you design and develop your shows to service that?
1: Yeah, look, I think Melbourne Puppetry is, has got a lot of diversity in scale and performance and, and I think large-scale puppetry is one section of that I'd, I'd like to think that I have have some play in that I'd like to hope I've, I've made a, some sort of part or you know stamp in in that section but I, th- I think puppetry is has got a, a really huge range in in Melbourne and Australia in, in puppetry whether it's large-scale puppetry or shadow puppetry or marionette puppetry. I think Melbourne in general's got a really fantastic community and buzz of of puppetry in general. And large scale puppetry, yeah, there's a big it's a few things have been noticed definitely, like the Creech Technology Company and and that has I think have played a big part in recognizing large scale puppetry and, and I was lucky enough to to be a part of that. Through walking with dinosaurs and King Kong, uh, How to Train a Dragon shows that we worked on while I was there, and it's such a, an amazing opportunity to um, to be a part of the team that brought those characters to life, and the technology and and skill that was you know involved in in those shows and the the grand scale you know of them, and and you know I hats off to the guys who organised that. Because I think the budget and the scale that's involved in bringing those shows to life is a whole different conversation <laughs> to sell that idea or that, that opportunity to bring those shows to life. So, I, you know, I'm lucky enough to be part of that team in that sense. But I think in the work that we've been doing recently with our large-scale puppets that we do is completely different. We kind of rely heavily on a a team of puppeteers. It's all, there's no animatronics, there's no mechanisms or, or anything involved. It's just manipulation of a big object by multiple people kind of bringing it to life and and moving it in unison which I love you know I love the kind of teamwork aspect to it which I think is is really cool and we, we definitely I do really love technology and, and probably if I had a big pot of money I'd be throwing a whole hell of a lot more of animatronics into the work that we do but I also don't think it's necessary in a lot of cases you know sometimes you need to you bring animatronics into a puppet if you need it if you can't get your hand in there or you can't get multiple things moving all at once, then you bring cables and mechanisms and animatronics involved. But puppetry is about moving and manipulating something uh, in real time and, and bringing it to life. You know, what we do, we can react and, and move in real time. In in a, in a in a situation when we're walking down the middle of Flinders Street, and then someone jumps out in front of us, we can react, and uh, which I love, you know. And and luckily, I'm I'm usually the guy walking around in the background, listening to everybody. Ooh and are ah over the thing that we've built while eight puppeteers kind of bring this amazing thing to life and people are like, Oh wow, this is a male, check this out. And I'm like, Yeah, you know, rubbing my hands together thinking, you know, it works, it works. It's a great art form and you know, large scale puppetry, I think I'm drawn to is because it is, it does bring a, a big crowd and a big response to you know to when you can connect with a crowd of people Um, and I love the you know the visual of a thing walking down the street when you like a sea of people over the head of hundreds of people or thousands of people and see this kind of monstrous thing walking towards you or something you know I've always been kind of drawn to that kind of visual whether it's through my artwork or I think maybe that's kind of where it's evolved through loving creatures and monsters to kind of bring this big creature to life. It's a cool visual. It's cool to see. And, and it's, it's definitely fits in that kind of festival scale that I en- enjoy being a part of.
0: I mean, I love what you say about Melbourne's community of puppetry, because that's the whole reason I moved from Sydney to Melbourne is that it is so diverse and it is so strong. And I love what your company does because <laughs> the puppeteer looking for work in me is, is so pleased that you would opt for having eight puppeteers instead of having an animatronic do the work of the puppeteer i think what you say about making making animatronics for what is necessary is something that Mm. i have taken really really i really like that and your studio is based in Melbourne's North Coburg and you've recently taken out a lease in Williamstown, which is on the water's edge, looking back out over the city. And it's a really beautiful space that I was really privileged to visit on Friday. And from what I understand, you are now going to use this space to showcase and perform your repertoire of large scale puppetry to audiences who can come in and out. So what are your plans for this space? It sounds so exciting.
1: Uh, it's it's just super exciting. We've been... Working out of our place in Incoberg North for uh, over five years now, and and when we started, it was an empty workshop. There was, wasn't much going on. There was me and you know a couple of other guys, and then we've we've grown into a, a team of ten and a full workshop with lots of junk, puppet parts, and and yeah. you know materials and workbenches and and we've filled the place up and the stuff that we do build a lot of the stuff we do build we we get commissioned and it goes out on the road and we we don't see it but some of the stuff that we do build are our own project and they um, stay with us so we need to store them so the workshop has we've outgrown the space in, in Coburg North and up until this point we've stored the puppets in parts sometimes you know we've taken them apart and we put the head over there we put the body in the ceiling and we put the chassis in the corner and we put the legs in storage and you know anything we can do to kind of make space for for the work that we've got at the moment and and then when we do want to perform it you know we and we've got a gig or you know we're like hey let's we've got some time let's let's take this out for a rehearsal then we have to kind of gather all the parts and put it together and put it in a truck and you know we can't we can't even put it together some some of the puppets that we build we we can't even fit in the workshop in you know all together so it's a time consuming and expensive kind of process to put it in a truck and move it and hire the space and and whatever and it's not productive to to be able to to do that sometimes and and so the opportunity to of Williamstown uh came up and we we've had our eye on this space for quite a while. Just recently we, we thought, oh, you know, we're either going to have to move, completely relocate the workshop or find a, a new space that we can um, do our kind of performances and rehearsals in. And luckily it's a, you know, good time of, well, good time or bad time of 2020 when it's, you know, <laughs> The shits hit the fan, where the space is available. It's a great space. We've we've just moved in. It's a destination that you can go to and and see a performance. Take your family, bring bring the kids down, and go for gelati and pizza, and walk along the beautiful bay, and and then come see some puppets. It's it just seemed like perfect timing and and a perfect location for us to to kind of shift down an absolute scary time for us to. Mm. to to take on a new space when, you know, when work's not, that great at the moment you know everything's come to an absolute halt but you know we feel like we needed to think of other avenues to keep our team together and and to perform and and make puppets and and do what we do so I think it's just came down to timing where we we've taken on the space and we've had some support from the city of Hobson's Bay we contacted them and told them we were thinking of doing this they were totally into it so you know we we kind of went all right, Barbara. Let's let's expand and and took everything that was kind of jammed in storage and and was just such a shame to kind of have all these amazing puppets shoved away in in a storage facility where we could kind of get them out on display and show off what we're doing but then we can can rehearse and and every time we want to do a practice run on a puppet we can just kind of wheel it out the door or we can do it in the space which is one super exciting that we can just do it without any you know really thinking about it but also you know it doesn't cost anything um now we can just kind of do it and put it on display we've done it a handful of times while i've been there and we just got a crowd of people just come around and you know fishermen kind of kind of run over with their kids and yeah. taking photos, and it's it's awesome. It's really fun. I've got so yeah. many
0: questions now that you've said all that. You know, the first thing I, I want to ask is, I was just talking to Dennis Murphy the other day about how I think puppetry will emerge from COVID-19 and performance restrictions through outdoor performances and through busking. The opportunity that your space provides really could be that. Do you see the potential mm. of the space in terms of its sheer size being a way of and social distancing yeah. being, being sort of a way forward for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, um, there's no seats. Um, you know, it's it's a big open space. Um, we're lucky enough to have a you know a shed that we have you know have have access to to perform and, and whatever. But we've got this two thousand square meter plus outdoor area that we have access to. That's that's got this beautiful backdrop of the of the city of Melbourne. It's just such a amazing space to be in like when it's a, not a great day, it's pretty windy and cold, and especially in, in Melbourne winter. But today it was just this beautiful, sunny blue sky, such a beautiful, sunny day to run around with some puppets and people were out having run their bikes and having a great time and such a lovely space to be around. And the community there is fabulous. Like, I definitely did think of it as an opportunity for theatre in this time.
0: And so with this exponential growth that your company has had, you know, even from just yourself and a few other guys to now 10 people, and you found yourself as an artist and set builder now running a full-scale business, what have you learned and how have you managed to to develop those skills of running that and managing that over time?
1: Um, delegation.
0: <laughs>
1: I think <laughs> I definitely have to put my manager hat on and then put my accountant hat on and then put my cleaner hat on, you know, I'm still <laughs> like cleaning the bathrooms and, you know, <laughs> but, you know, uh, it's been a massive learning curve. If somebody had told me it was going to be so hard to run a business, I may not have done it. <laughs> it's totally worthwhile. It's a challenging experience as an artist to put on your multiple hats and and be a spokesperson and be an accountant and uh, and and be an artist at the same time. You know, I, I don't pick up the tools or the paintbrush or the anything as much as I'd I'd probably like to. But saying that, you know, I do love being a designer, puppet designer and and a creator and a and a leader and a manager to some of the best makers in the business to have a team of ridiculously amazingly talented people under the banner of a blank canvas and creating Beautiful work, and and everybody being so proud of the work we do. We're working, but we're laughing and having a great time, and and really challenge some really challenging situations too. You know, we're, we're still every job that we do is something we've never done before. We're always coming up with challenges to create the next work. You can, you can never preempt what was what is going to happen, and and you know I've got a budget and when someone says, hey, how much is it going to cost to build a giant thing? And I go, oh, hang on, let me just figure that out, you know, and and I go, well, it's probably going to cost this, you know, And, and they say, yes, okay, let's build it and then we build it, you know. So I've got to kind of imagine how it's going to be built before we can figure out how it's built. A lot of the time I'll just kind of spend the night uh, sleeplessly trying to figure out how I'm going to create this thing and then come back the next morning and go, oh, it's going to cost this much. <laughs> and that's sometimes works out sometimes it doesn't. There's always things that pop up, and especially when you've you know got a client that has an expectation of this and you've got their client that's got an expectation of this. And when it comes to commercial works, it's, it can get you know complicated when you've got multiple people that are invested in a thing and they've all got multiple ideas of what a thing looks like and what a thing's going to do and and i think communication has been the biggest thing that i could probably pass on to anybody who's thinking about doing this or involved in in this kind of work it's i think you've just got to communicate as much as you possibly can to your client or or your team or Uh, anybody and it's and it's about asking all those questions and and trying to figure out all the things that could go wrong or all the things that it could do or things that should do and half the time you go you've got a client that says you know I just want it to do this this and this and you go oh but do you want it to do this and they go no 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 you know I don't want it to do this but then you build it and then they go oh you know what I'd love it if it could do this, <laughs> Worse. you know, and so you've got to be, you've got to think, you know, pretty sure you are going to want it to be able to like stick its head up and move around and, and run, you know, it's like, oh, I just want this thing to walk. Like surely, you know, I might want it to run. No, 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 I don't want it to run. But then get to building like, you know, it'd be great if it could run, you know? <laughs> you've got to just got to make sure you think about all these things that the, the puppet or it could talk or it could blink you know you've got to weigh up those challenges of okay you don't want to over complicate something too as well you know you've, you've got to mm. figure out what the client wants or what you want it to do and, you know, what that puppet is about and what the character is about and what movements it may require that you haven't thought about. And if you can preempt all those things or some of those things, it's, it's definitely going to be helpful in the long run. Probably every job that Gosh. I've ever done, I've kind of gone on, oh, you know, you kind of push it a little bit further than what you've asked for. And it always pays off. Nice. Um, it's better to over deliver
0: than kind of um, just meet expectations. That's it, hey. And so, okay, let's talk about these conceptions, these ideas. Where do your concepts come from? And uh, one that I want to draw attention to is the one that I met the other day, which is The Guardian and The Messenger, these enormous puppets, which I believe was for White Knight in Melbourne. Can you tell us about like yeah. the coupling of that and the concept?
1: Yeah, so The Messenger was the first large puppet we built for White Knight. And basically, I've always wanted to build an archangel. So it was a winged humanoid creature. I was like, I'd love to build a, an archangel. And and then so White Knight came around and, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had a, a giant White Knight for White Knight? and i thought is that cheesy um, you know, it comes <laughs> <from> <laughs> it's um, like is you that need
0: to make hayasugi
1: <laughs> and i like, it all i'd already had the idea of a, of the messenger being this kind of archangel uh, messenger of of love and compassion and i'd always like well, this is one of the characters cuz we you know we do commissioned work and commercial work and i thought like i'd love to build something that kind of had a statement or made a difference, or or you know whatever. An archangel of love and compassion and understanding for everybody would be a great uh a, a, you know statement and a puppet to build to to deliver this kind of message, where you know instead of somebody walking around and going, oh, believe in me and and I've got the answer and you need to you know believe in this and this and this. Where I think religion plays a massive part in. In most of our lives, um, I'm not super religious, um, but I believe in religion and, and what it can do and the power it can have in believing in something. And um, the Archangel was a messenger that I had read up on and, and thought that it's across all religions. There's always a guardian or, or like a messenger and, a, and an archangel that kind of looked over everybody. And, and I just thought it was this thing that kind of passed on through multiple religions and at the time things were a bit crazy with with um with religion in general there was a lot of wars and arguments and and things going on and I just thought like it would be great to create this this being that that didn't have a you know it wasn't male or female or it was any religion or it was it was all of us it was all about us being united as one and not about our Difference, it was, it was, was more about our similarities. So it has a face that has a rear projection on its face and, like, I I try to get as many people as I can, as diverse as as I can in the time that we kind of were building it to have male, female, you know, black, white, Asian, anybody who could kind of be a part of of the the project that we had that could speak a quote and give them words of wisdom for this puppet to deliver. And we kind of picked out a bunch of quotes that we thought that were relevant um, and they were through, you from, you know, the Pope to, you know, John Lennon or singers or religious leaders or, or anybody or that we had a, a positive message that we wanted to share. So we kind of collected all these quotes and then we got all our friends and family members and stuff to record these messages. So the, the face on the messenger kind of scrolled through male and female and black and white and it was supposed to have no gender, but it still ended up being male. You know, I don't know why or how and even I, I say him, but you know, it's just, it kind of ended up that way. And, but the message still got across and, you know, we had people crying on the street and it would pick somebody out and was the messenger. So it would walk the streets and it would find somebody and pick them out of the audience and deliver a message just directly to them. And then when it grabbed somebody and it took them aside and brought them down and went down on one knee and delivered this message to them, you know, people cried. It was, was buddy amazing it was such a really beautiful moment to see people connect with a puppet and a large puppet too that's operated by eight people the guardian was a few years later and again they kind of came to us and said you know have you got an idea for something that we could outdo the messenger and i went yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, love that confidence
1: yeah and and so and i would already been kind of thinking of of a creature that could you know this big powerful creature that that we could uh, create and and we'd already done a humanoid character and and I thought oh let's do a four-legged kind of thing and and um, my dog passed away just um, at the time and it was 17 years we'd been together and oh. and um, and my cat who was um, fifteen had passed away three days later. So I was was pretty like uh, devastated at the time. And I just wanted to create maybe something that was a, big powerful beast that was represented both of them and so i just thought a lion would be perfect for that and thinking about and and kind of like mulling around some ideas of how i would create that and i wanted to do illuminated beautiful like lit translucent thing and and i thought well a crystal lion you know and and then lion being a lion being so you know endangered almost or endangered that you know they're so delicate and being gla- like almost gla- glass and fragile and crystal and and all those kind of images came up to be this kind of crystal lion you know emerged and and then so you know putting these kind of shards of crystal kind of coming out of the lion's back instead of a mane it was kind of these shards of crystal and that kind of came quite quickly and and naturally it was just like oh yeah this is what i want to do and and then it was like yeah it's a fabulous idea let's do it and and we built it probably a lot of thought but you know felt like it was quite a quick process
0: with the messenger You've got eight puppeteers. And on Friday, when I met up with you and the puppeteers who were there for this meetup, we did something called flocking, which is basically an improvised movement sequence in which someone is always leading. Therefore, everything falls into place. Was The Messenger's eight-person puppeteer crew doing a a sort of version of flocking when they chose an individual to be given a message? Or what is the sort of the sequence of puppeteers? How do you rehearse eight people?
1: Yeah, look, no, short answer. That is a rehearsed, segmented performance. One of the best things about the performances that we do is that you've just got eight people moving together, barely talking and understanding each other and understanding what the next person needs to do. It has a, I guess it has an element of that, but it's a practiced uh, routine that involves a step. Like we've always got a thing where, you know, if you're going to walk, you always start on your right foot and then the right foot leads. So I guess it has a little bit of an element to that, but it is a rehearsed routine. And it's something that we're constantly adding to our repertoire of moves when, you know, you see somebody over there and then we've got a routine worked out that reacts to that um, kind of element. But So I said no, but, yeah, maybe I'm changing my mind a little bit and saying maybe a little bit of yes. (laughs) But because (laughs) I guess it eventually comes naturally that you do have, you know, somebody that will take the lead and go, okay, well, this is happening and then so you react to that situation. It's not so much reacting to a particular person, but it's reacting to a situation and once that situation kicks in, everybody has their role because you've mm. kind of you've got to react on with a large-scale puppet you know the body moves the legs are going to move so you're not actually reacting with a person you're reacting with the movement of the puppet and when that moves then the leg's got to move and then the hands are going to move and then the head's going to move and mm. you know you've you've got this kind of tra- chain reaction yeah it um, takes this whole and, idea
0: of Takes this whole idea of acting is reacting to a biomechanical yeah. level, you know, with, yeah. with the interactivity of a person and a puppet. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I and I think that comes with, you know, being a really great puppeteer that you can step outside your body and you can see what something's gonna look like from a different perspective, you know? And and so, you know, you may be operating a leg from underneath the puppet that you're projecting yourself looking at the puppet and going, how does this leg look? Am I under the body? Am I in the right position? Am I reacting the, with the other leg, you know? And so all those things come into to play when when puppeteering and, and being a, an excellent puppeteer.
0: Yeah, that hyper alertness and hyper awareness. Mm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So your next creation sounds... Really exciting. I saw steampunk style rats and a superhero costume cat, is kind of what I can take from it. But it's probably that was probably a really rudimentary way of explaining it. Tell us about it. You know, this is a a pitch for the next thing. So tell us all about your next project.
1: Um, I can't tell you too much about it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, look, it's it's a funky space rock opera that we've been writing and, and developing over the last few months. It's a large-scale performance uh, at our new space in Williamstown that we're developing and, and workshopping. It's, it's a collaboration between A Blank Canvas and the um, Cambodian Space Project, which are uh, a Cambodian band like funk soul band uh, from Cambodia, which we've been in contact with for a while now, and and kind of bouncing ideas off each other and saying, you know, we've got to get together and and do a show together, and and so we've been um, back and forthing with some ideas and and designs, and over over the last few months, developing uh, this kind of crazy, out-of-this-world, out futuristic space rock opera where, you know, this is kind of intergalactic space cat crash lands on a futuristic kind of planet and and are uh, looking for the lost funk and, and you know, there's these kind of repressed humanoid kind of characters that have, have been taken over by these Icarian overlords and and they're a repressed population and they've kind of, you know, they can't express themselves through music and and that. So the space cat lands and and she um, frees the population in a a nutshell. Ridiculous, out of this world kind of a concept and an idea that we're absolutely loving and... And so we've been working out like giant puppets and costumes and dance and music and film prosthetics and and yeah. um, and large scale puppetry and virtual reality and augmented reality and an audience being a part of the show as well. Yeah. So you kind of get stuck in this world and um, and you're a part of the show, which which is is cool and and perfect for our new space in Williamstown. So we can kind of. Um, you know, take on this humongous space and turn it into this um, wasteland, futuristic wasteland, which um, which I think is perfect for, for the space and venue.
0: Oh, so cool. I get so excited by that. I love the idea of a space cat who loses her funk and has to go find the funk and then realises that there's
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> ratsu or something George kind of Clinton, creature.
1: George yeah. Clinton lost the funk in... 1979
0: um, and and we've been looking for it ever since. (laughs) Okay, well you are listening to Talking Sock with One Orange Sock and Joe Blank. We'll be right back after the break. Make sure you hit subscribe and follow One Orange Sock Productions on Instagram. More with Joe in just a second. This is Philip Miller.
1: I'm Richard Bradshaw. I'm Sue Wallace and you are listening to Talking Sock. Talking Sock Podcast. The
0: one Orange Sock production. This is the number one podcast for puppetry in the country.
1: Your one-stop shop for all things puppetry arts and practitioners. The number one puppetry podcast
0: in Australia. Follow this podcast. We believe that podcasts should be advert-free. So if you like what you're listening to, there's a new way to help support our podcast. No monthly subscriptions, just a simple tip to share your kindness and to help us get by. Follow the link in the podcast notes or at oneorangesock.com to buy us a coffee. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening to Talking Sock. Hello, darlings. This is Ronnie Burkett, and you're listening to Talking Sock, my favorite puppetry podcast. Welcome back. You are listening to Talking Sock with Pete Davidson and Joe Blank. We've been talking about large-scale roving puppetry and Joe's work in statements, site activations, and shows like The Guardian and The Messenger. But now, Joe, it's time to talk more about how you've built Somewhat of a puppetry community here in Melbourne. So, firstly, I, I want to ask you about the team that you have and with you, and the network of puppeteers and builders that you work with. What does it take, and who does it take to successfully elicit the work that you do?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I guess there's two elements to that. There's there's the building side of it, and then there's the puppetry side of it. Some of our team cross over in those two departments and build and perform, and I think that's a really Great skill set to have when building a puppet to have some sort of knowledge of performance on how a puppet needs to move, how heavy a puppet is, how it's going to feel when you're holding it for five minutes above your head when you're building it. And if you do have those both those elements, then I think you make a great puppeteer and a great maker. The team that we have built over the years has just has developed over time through you know small jobs that we've built and learning new skills and uh, developing new skills from small puppets to large puppets. The same principles come across from a from a small puppet to a big puppet. There's definitely materials and elements that you need to you know work around when thinking about building something that you need it to be lightweight you need to be durable you need it to handle outdoor weather um things like that it might get wet you know it might get dirty you know it needs to be cleaned all those sort of things so you know all those things come into when as a maker you kind of pick up on these kind of materials and skills and and stuff but as a as a puppeteer and and as a part of the team It's got a lot to do with being part of the team. I think you can be an amazing puppeteer and a dickhead, um, (laughs) and at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, you might not get the job. (laughs) Um, But you know, it's it's all about working as a team. I think is the big key when working as a builder or a maker you've you've got to be mindful of the person that you're working next to and the person that's working on the next part of the puppet that you're working on or performing the thing that you're performing with you know as a maker you need to understand what the next process is if you're a in hard fabrication and you're doing a mechanism, you've got to know that the, the person in next to you needs to fabricate it and put a soft foam on it and it needs to still be able to move in that way that it needs to move. And just because it moves when you've put a hinge on it doesn't mean it's the correct movement after you've covered it with some foam and some silk or, you know, and so you've got to understand that, The process that comes after you and same with a puppeteer you know you need to be able to move the puppet and communicate with the person next to you and move fluidly with the person next to you and and move and understand them and and work with them to achieve your goal and if you don't you know if you don't and if you don't communicate and you're like oh I'm just going to do it my way and my way is the best way then it'll look rubbish it it just takes your way and the person's way next to you to move together to create you know and achieve the goal that you're looking for and if you don't communicate and you don't work together it'll look shit
0: yeah I think puppetry is designed to be an egoless art form for that matter you know if you're not working towards making the object look real then It's two brains on the one piece of movement. It doesn't work. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Wow. Okay, so Joe, it's time for our segment called The Geek Out, in which I get a guest and myself to mention something that has been getting us through this time of social isolation that we've been in. My Geek Out for this week is an app. It's a fun little app that you can play with your friends in a house party. It's called Space Teams. And in making uh, this app work, you need to be on the same Wi-Fi network. But basically what it is, you are on uh, an app that has a series of controls and your job is to flick uh, those controls on and off. They might be the flux capacitator. They might be the thingy-majig. They have a series of ridiculous names and you need to know what they all are very quickly because someone will also be yelling those controls that you need to switch off at you. And through yeah. a series of levels, the thing is going to fall apart and it starts to get rickety and crackety, And it's extremely stressful, but a lot of fun to play with your housemates. So my uh, my little plug for this week uh, in the Geek Out is Space Teams. Check it out in the App Store. Joe, what's your uh, what's your Geek Out for this week?
1: I don't know. I'm going to check that out. That sounds pretty rad. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> uh, I, my Geek Out, like I mentioned, apart from... Watch Smash and heaps of Netflix is virtual reality. I've been getting into it a little bit. So I've just I thought just when coronavirus hit and thought I'm going to be in lockdown for quite some time. I thought shit. I need to. <laughs> I need to get a virtual reality headset um, and cool. create my own virtual world so i did with very little knowledge or experience on it but i was super into it and i've always been interested in augmented reality and, and virtual reality and and so i i got myself a um oculus rift second hand um, yeah I was gonna say Ooh. from a, yeah absolutely second hand 300 bucks <laughs> yeah, on ebay for um from some dude who wanted to sell it because he needed to buy a stove um,
0: Priority's good.
1: <laughs> so I snatched it up. <laughs> I needed to upgrade my computer a little bit on um, on the graphics card, but uh, it didn't take too much to get my rig VR ready. And so, yeah, I've been knee deep into uh, Tilt Brush, which is a um, virtual reality painting Um, and sculpting programs. So it's painting in virtual reality and it is fucking awesome. It's so much fun. Oh, that's Um, so cool. And being a painter and a sculptor, being able to paint in like oil paints in... A virtual world where i can kind of move around i can just like slap paint on in space and then move around it and create creatures and paint in like light and fire and stop um, oh my god and and it's so so much fun so much fun. So yeah, I've been um, I've been creating virtual worlds and creating. You know, you can expand and contract this kind of whatever you're working on. So you can you can paint a tiny flower, and then you know, and then zoom out or zoom in. You know, you can create a flower and then zoom, zoom, zoom in, and then create a microscopic bug or a world within that flower you know it's um so i've been like creating trees and forests and and houses and and then you can kind of zoom in and keep going deeper and deeper and deeper it's it's pretty pretty fascinating oh my um, gosh so, you know.
0: what applications could that be for your work as well like can well you lots you know? export this yeah
1: yeah yeah so you can you can export and import like 3d models so I can like I'm I'm already into 3D virtual modeling programs like Z- ZBrush and things like that so mm-hmm. I can kind of model my characters and I'll model a character and I'll print it on my, my 3D printer and then we take mm-hmm. patterns off it and, and build things out of it so but I can you know I also use that as a as a massive fantastic tool to to show off my designs and present them to clients and so you can do like a three-dimensional you know turnaround on a on a character or on a sculpture or whatever mm-hmm. i can import them into tilt brush so i can have a creature and then i can give it hair or f- like and hair made out of fire you know or oh. i can i can import a a character and then i can give it a costume um, so I can give it a silk flowing kind of outfit or uh, uh, I can, you know, I can create a world for a character, you know, I can import a character and then I can create the forest that it lives in. And then I can do a, like a video camera path so I can kind of fly around that area and film it and replay it to a client or, you know, just for fun. So I'm, I'm actually super into that at the moment for fun but also for value for the work that I do as well you know just creating a you know just recently for the face that we did in um that we've got in uh Williamstown I just created Williamstown virtually and and created the buildings that we've got and and then I put all my creatures in there and like lit fires and created like giant trees and you know giant rats and And stuff running around in the space and then i just did like a fly through so i can kind of you know show what it would look like from different perspectives and what it would look like from you know underneath the puppet looking up at the giant kind of messenger or guardian or or whatever but then seeing what it would look like if it was from a you know helicopter or a drone's perspective been geeking out in vr (laughs) that's
0: easily so far my favorite geek out that <laughs> that opportunity to do that in a space. I would, just wouldn't go outside. But also what you've managed to do is you've taken yeah. that idea of a leisure activity and then got and applied it to your own work. I won't call you a yeah. workaholic, Joe, but no. There's a thought there. <laughs> get there. <me. laughs> All yeah. right. So what else is out there for you in puppetry and performing arts that you want to get your hands on that you haven't yet?
1: Look, I'd I'd probably like to have a crack in, in some sort of augmented reality performance. I've been kind of pitching the idea for a while, and and that, and nothing's kind of re- really stuck at the moment. Like the technology's getting really fucking awesome at the moment. Um, so you know, it's it's augmented reality's been a bit glitchy, and you know, lights. You know, you got to get in the right light and stuff like that. But now it's it's just getting so good, and it's getting cheaper and uh, easier to do. And to be able to kind of walk around uh, a space and have this mishmash of kind of real life creatures and an augmented reality version of that as well, um, uh, whether it's through augmented reality goggles or, you know, on your phone or on your tablet or something. I'd really like to kind of tap into that in a project. I've, I've mucked around with it in my, my own time and on a small scale, but I'd, I'd absolutely love to, to get into it on a larger scale and in a group of people kind of walking around a space and interacting with each other and um, and that I think would be would be really cool.
0: I'm really keen to kind of get a sense from you as to what you think a blank canvas's brand is, or what how you sell it to people.
1: It's puppetry in a in a sense. Like we don't just do puppetry, but we are thinking outside the box. You know, merging art and technology. I think is a is a really cool element to what we do and I'm really excited about it that you've got this traditional puppetry techniques spliced with some sophisticated technology that can kind of whether that's animatronics or led lighting or projection mapping or, or whatever but you've got this beautiful art form that's just got so much range and then merging it with technology that can enhance that and take you out of this world and put you on in another world and I think that's kind of what we've been doing and we you know would like really like to, to do more of you know every day where we're kind of like oh well, let's try this or can we implement this idea into what we do and just moving forward in, in creating new ideas through performance art and and puppetry.
0: And as far as moving forward goes, what is your, I want you to think a little bit broader outside of a blank canvas and more towards Australian puppetry as a whole. Where do you see Australian puppetry going in the next 10 years?
1: I'd like to see it evolving around Williamstown where <laughs> we've set up camp over the next 10 years. I think I'd love to see this evolve into a, a space of uh, workshop and performance and and large-scale puppetry being this kind of mecca hub of Australian puppetry coming out of of like getting together and performing in a, in a large-scale mass of puppeteers and makers and Teaching and developing skills in in one place, rather than all of us doing random stuff in our basements or or workshops or bedrooms, and and kind of getting together and skill sharing and and developing um, uh, kind of this art form of, of, on a massive scale.
0: Yeah, Jess Knight mentioned to me in her episode the idea of just not doing it alone, and I think that's yeah. that's something that I am really keen on seeing more of. Uh, do you think that you might get Joe Blank or a blank canvas overseas, somewhere?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like we've we we were already overseas and we're already performing and and doing some great gigs just before all this um, coronavirus. Um, now things have happened. I'm I'm kind of turning back towards just focusing on on us locally and and developing you know a blank canvas but also Australian puppetry in Melbourne out of necessity, but also, you know, maybe this is where we should have been focusing to, to begin with. Um that mm. we might not get some international work for a while due to, to the circumstances. But I think, you know, maybe maybe we just need to turn inwards for a little bit and gather our troops together locally and see what we can do as a as a mass, as a group, and and see what we can
0: come up with. You say turning inwards. I, I kind of think about how when you developed The Guardian and, and The Messenger, specifically The Guardian, the idea of looking into what's happening in your life and and that unfortunate passing of your pets becoming this artwork. But I'm interested in how other concepts and stories of yours have come about. How would you describe what your art is and where those stories come from from you?
1: Yeah, look, I, I definitely think it's my art. I would always think what I do and the ideas that I have and the direction that the the company or myself kind of pushes is is in my own personal kind of drive and creation and 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 I would wouldn't want to think I was driven from you know just how to pay the rent. It's it's definitely. Uh, something that is a personal art form, but also I'm a collective and we're a collective of artists as a blank canvas. So it's a group of, of us that evolve and, and grow into the shows and the ideas that we do have so we you know we definitely kind of get together and go okay what do we want to create what are we what are we interested in What are the things that we're we're into right now and you know they usually always end up being something to do with how we can make the world a better place you know in a nutshell and it kind of always comes back to that you know we're we're neighbours with the sea shepherd at the moment in moonstown so now we're like hey, let's just get together with these guys and let's go like you know save some whales and save some animals and stuff so i'm like we're all kind of like pumped about that at the moment yeah. so you know i think that's that's a direction that we're kind of might be you know heading in but we've we've done some really great gigs with the zoo uh, promoting awareness of you know endangered animals and and all that sort of stuff which has always been such a, a great feeling when you know you can you feel like you're accomplishing something like that and you know we work with um, make a wish foundation where we've given a wish to you know some kids that, that wanna that wanted you know one girl um, Miller her wish was to meet a dragon and we we delivered her a, a baby dragon and you know that was just one of the best jobs that we've ever done and and so we're always looking for gigs like that that we can you know do something that's super fun we love what we do we're kind of blessed that we get to dick around with puppets all the time and we get paid for it and you know when a job like that comes up that we can actually you know do something good for somebody or multiple people it's, it's just ticks all the boxes and we can't do them all the time Um, and we wish we could but you know we're, we're striving for to getting like funding through councils and and stuff like that where we can focus on things that we we really love and And want to do but that's that's the general
0: goal oh i think there's probably going to be a whole another talking sock episode with joe blank around grant writing and funding but i won't go there tonight (laughs) because uh we are getting towards the end of our discussion but your work does sound certainly like it is reactive and inspired by what is going on around you and i love that and so what is your advice to young puppeteers just trying to make it out there
1: yeah, I think taking risks is a big, big, big uh, part of it. I think um, you know, doing what you love always comes across. Yeah, and taking taking some chances and not doing what everybody else is doing. There's a um, idea of like get on the tr- what's trendy at the moment or what's you know what's popular and and jump on that kind of bandwagon and and then I think by the time you kind of get on, it's already gone. But I think. Um, you know, always looking for new ways to create and develop your craft, um, I think is is always a good start.
0: Yeah, that's it. I felt like I was particularly guilty for not jumping on TikTok the moment it came out with all the puppets and not jumping into <laughs> YouTube once COVID isolation happened. And then I just yeah. was like, I don't particularly feel very inspired to make something of on those mediums. And I was yeah. kind of kicking myself exactly. about that for a while. And then I was just like, no, but maybe what I'm making now is enough, you know. And so, yeah, yeah. that would be my thought on <laughs> on trying to jump on the bad wagon. Yeah. Anyway, um, Joe, if you had someone in puppetry, a, a hero of sorts in puppetry, uh, who would it be and why?
1: I guess there's in puppetry, I'd say, you know, locally, like Philip Miller's always been a big. Hero of mine. I've worked with him recently, and you know, for for a while in 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 some fantastic projects. And but you know, when I was an up and coming puppet maker and stuff, I kind of always inspired to work with him, or you know, be you know, make amazing puppets like Philip. And I guess you know, everybody's been a big inspiration for me that I've worked with um over the years, just learning skills and through people from the amazing makers from the Creature Technology Company and, and even the guys that I work with today. Um, I'm totally inspired by uh, everybody that I work with in puppetry and 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 all this kind of different skills sets that, that, um, that they have. Uh, but I'm inspired by everything, you know, music, you know, people, just day-to-day people and interactions kind of inspire me. I'm always looking for keeping a lookout in, in things that kind of day to day things that that kind of inspire me and and you know different artists like James Jean is an, an amazing painter that's just ridiculously talented but just creates these surreal um worlds um that are just not anything that you know you you could um, you know obviously he imagines them and and you know I, I think um you know, just looking at other worlds and different dimensions and, and ideas that kind of, that are just really outside your, your kind of day-to-day life. I'm, I'm not really into kind of watching a, a TV drama that's just about kind of general life, you know, I'm, I'm see that every day so you know just seeing you know worlds and i'm i'm kind of into we're getting back onto things we were doing in iso but midnight gospel on on netflix is this crazy series that's just a different way you you could and you would love it because it's a um it's a interview that he interviews these kind of um you know, it might be a, a a Buddhist monk or a or a poet or something, but it's in this tripped out cartoon world. But he's just given an interview to somebody, and then and the the visuals don't match the the dialogue that goes uh-huh. with it. And it's just a fascinating way to to interview somebody and and to to entertain. So I would I would check that out as well.
0: Cool. Yeah, amazing. Well, then I have to ask. Then, like you, you, you've definitely spoken about how you're more interested in the fit, sort of. I don't like using that word fantasy. I'm not sure why, but the fantasy world. What is your augmented reality? What is Joe Blank's ideal fantasy world or augmented reality?
1: I'm into technology and in the future, and I'm I'm looking forward to having my head in a glass jar and having a a robot body and and all that. I'm kind of, um, I'm totally, totally looking forward to that world. But I'm also pretty, pretty into nature and getting away and, and switching off and, and, and that as well. So it'd probably be some sort of futuristic mishmash of um, um, robotic kind of trees and, and um, and and aliens and uh, robots. There's probably going to be some, definitely going to be some robots in there.
0: Man, that sounds awesome. I'm down for that. <laughs> All right. Well, we are out of time. So Joe, thank you so much for talking sock with us today. Uh, You can find Joe on Instagram at a blank canvas uh, and at www.ablankcanvas.com. That's blank with B-L-A-N-C-K. Thanks for listening with us today and make sure you subscribe for more great puppetry arts and practitioner interviews. I have been Pete Davidson, that puppet guy, and we'll talk sock again soon. Thanks for listening. Now we want to hear from you. Each week, we'll post a series of questions related to every interview. Join the conversation on Twitter at TalkingSockCast. You can help us bring puppet power to the podcasting world by hitting subscribe, liking our socials, and telling your friends. Like us on Instagram at OneOrangeSockProductions and check out our episode blog at OneOrangeSock.com. You can support our podcast by pledging to us on Patreon. Your support helps fund our audio mastering, interview transcriptions, and much, much more. Find the link in the podcast notes and earn yourself a shout-out on our socials. Head to our website at oneourownsock.com or talk to us on Twitter to see how you can show your support. Our music is composed by Elizabeth Maniscalco and our cover art is by Chad Barnier. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be possible. We'll be back next week with another great episode
1: here at Talking Sock.